Welcome to My Garden, My Life, a podcast designed to inspire you to think about your garden and your relationship with it. I'm Sarah Layton, garden designer founder of Growthfully, and my mission is to help you make the most of the joyful possibilities of your garden, to get designing and gardening and enhance your day-to-day well-being. The space outside your door, be it large or small, can literally change your life. These conversations start with our gardens and plants, but also travel to a world of unexpected subjects that matter. And I absolutely love having them. Today's conversation is with Sarah Venn, writer, activist, gardener, and founder of Incredible Edible Bristol, an NGO which supports gardening groups to get established in the city. We spoke about how she became such a passionate defender of those less fortunate, the ways in which her work inspires her and supports the people she works with, and about her own garden and its wildlife. So whatever you're doing, whether you're sitting back to listen or are busy in your own garden, perhaps potting on your seedlings, planting out your sweet peas, weeding a border, or setting up a lovely place to sit over the summer, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hello, Sarah. Hi. How are you doing? All right. Very well, thank you. Thank you so much for agreeing to have this conversation. A pleasure. I'm really excited. So you run an organisation called Incredible Edible in Bristol. Would you like to tell us something about that? Sure. So Incredible Edible Bristol is part of the Incredible Edible movement, which is all across the UK and all across the world. It began six years ago when a group of us realised that there was a lot of public realm space in Bristol and that quite a lot of it wasn't being particularly well used, although there were lots of communities across the city that could use it. And we we kind of a bit like an advice forum, really, I guess. People come to us and say, we've got an idea, we'd like to do this, and we very gently move them through the process that they need to go through. So we help them with, if they need to find out who the land belongs to, we help them with that. If they need help with getting more people involved, we give, we help with that. We help with horticultural advice. We help them to get seen so that people know how to get involved. And, and yeah, so we set them up effectively so that they are a properly sustainable project moving forwards and they're not just a flash in the pan basically amazing so you're providing those sort of services like a little business needs a small business that needs the marketing it needs the yes the the day-to-day governance all that sort of thing it needs the land and you're supporting them and you have that expertise because you've done it time and time again yeah absolutely and the important thing i think is that we are all volunteers so whereas if it was a paid job, we'd have to do things like, you know, we'd have amounts of gardens that we had to had to create and all of this kind of stuff. Because we're volunteers, it's very much we become part of that community. Amazing and fantastic. How did you get started on that? You said it's an, an international organisation. Yeah. So I've been watching what was going on in Todmorden since they began in 2008. And Todmorden was the first group. In the UK? First group, full stop. Oh, 
Right. Okay. This all began in Todmorden. And by the point that I moved to Bristol seven years ago, there were about 30 or 40 groups. And, you know, the idea would really spread. And I sort of expected it to be in Bristol because it's quite a Bristol thing, but it wasn't. So I got together with a group of people and we just, and we sort of looked at what had happened in other places because obviously in Topperdon it's a group of people who are amazing and who grow stuff on the streets and you, you know it's all about creating that community vision through food what we didn't want to end up being was Bristol's kind of free gardening service um, which is why we decided to do what we do and do the support thing rather than just creating gardens all over the place. Um, so you mean not just Finding a nice verge and sticking some plants in. Yeah, because that's relevant in a town of less than 10,000 people, but there are 455,000 people here in 37 different boroughs. So, you know, to to do that citywide would be ridiculous, Um, whereas we could support people to do it and become part of something across the city. Right, incredible. And where does your passion because I think it is passion. I see you on Instagram. You are very feisty. Where does this passion and this strong, opinionated way of being in the world come from? So I guess it comes from being brought up by very strong-minded women. So more than one woman was involved in your upbringing. Yeah, I mean, my mum was. She was a teacher. She was, you know, she was very strong-willed, and she was always somebody who fought for the underdog. Right. Which is, I see you doing that a lot. Yeah, she was always somebody who fought for the underdog. She was always the teacher that would say, I don't care how bad that child is, badly that child is behaving, that child is behaving badly because there's a reason. Yeah. And would find out the reason. Yeah. So I guess my mum, my granny was a massive influence on me as a child because she was just amazing and she said it the way she thought it was and she didn't care. She, you know, that was it. She was. I have no idea. So yeah, she was. She was deeply honest, and she. I I mean, to the point that sometimes I'm not quite sure that there was anything between her mouth and her brain, which can be dangerous. Yes, um, but yeah, she was. Yeah, so she was very strong. And then my aunt, my I had a great aunt who was extraordinary. Had travelled the world. Was again was a teacher who had the, the most incredible house. I remember as a child that was just full of really intriguing things from her travels around the world. So yeah, so I think and and also I I you know, I had quite a lucky schooling in that my mum was a teacher and taught in the private sector. I ended up going to a school in the private sector and and within that there were a whole load of really 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 powerful women who weren't what you imagine from a girls' school at all. What do you mean? Well, you know, it it wasn't it wasn't Enid Blyton. Y- you know, we were not being brought up to be housewives. We were being brought up to be forward-thinking young women who had opinions and were allowed to have opinions, which in the eighties was still a bit of a fight. So I think. Um, yeah, so I think I've been surrounded by strong women most of my life. And I think also the other the other reason that I am as I am is that I have been bullied quite progressively through 
quite a lot of what I've done and right. I just won't put up with it. So I'm not afraid to call people out because actually if people don't behave very well to me, I, I, I'll tell them. Yeah. So if, if I, you know, if somebody starts bullying somebody on Twitter or on wherever I will, I will say to them, stop it. Yeah. You're being a bully. And, People are always really surprised by that, but I just think it's really important. We have to stand up for people. Well, we have to act rather than just stand by. Yes, absolutely. That you know, and and I think we have to learn that being you know social media warriors is that what you are? <laughs> no, I don't think I am. But I think a lot of people think that activism can happen behind a keyboard, and it can't. You have to get up and do something. You can't just disagree with somebody. That's not activism. So you identify as an activist? Oh, very much so, yeah. I can, I can, I can see that. I'm going to take us back to gardening, mm. um, which may be a disappointment to somebody who's listening, and I apologise <laughs> if that's the case. But my interest particularly is in your relationship with gardening. Yes. Um, were those amazingly strong women garden passionate as well? Oh, God. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my mum would, uh, she was, she was absolutely the most green fingered person that I have ever met. But she was also somebody who really struggled through some aspects of life. And you could really see that the garden was, it was where she went when she needed time out and when she needed sort of space mm -hmm. so yeah so so she was very much a gardener my granny was I mean we used to the highlight of my year would be we would go up to see my granny in Yorkshire every summer the one of the last things we would do every holiday is that she and I would get on a bus go to Otley go to Smith's Garden Centre and order bulbs and bare roots and you know all of that stuff that we don't do anymore you know and and she I mean she was I'm, she, I'm pretty sure she didn't actually plant any of it herself but she you know she was really passionate about seasonal gardening and she always grew some food and yeah so so she was another one and she showed you well some of the mechanics not the actual planting sowing all that sort of stuff no, but she sort of showed me the seasonality behind it. Yes. So, you know, and I can remember, you know, buying sweet peas and ordering bare root roses and all of that sort of stuff, all within a kind of time frame of how the, you know, yeah. she'd obviously been brought up in a gardening world where you had to buy things when they were bare root or whatever. And so that's how she carried on doing it. And you, so that was your grandmother? Yes. And your mother with the green fingers and the other two women, they, they were also... Not so much, actually. Not so much. The other person, and I have, to, I have to tell you this. So the other person that really got me going was we lived next door to a guy called Jim Ramage. And Jim Ramage was, as far as I was concerned, was probably about 200 years old. Now, he <laughs> probably wasn't. He was probably quite newly retired when we did this. But anyway... They had an extraordinary sort of long, thin garden, which was cut up into what, what I guess traditionally would have been the flower garden, then the food garden, and then where they kept their livestock. And they always had chickens. Occasionally, they had a pig. And my mum was pregnant with my brother, and he 
said to me, come on, Sarah, we're going to sow some flowers for your mum for when she comes home from hospital having had your brother. Oh, how lovely. And I went, and I would have been two and a half, two and three quarters at this point. I mean, and I remember it like it was yesterday. And I remember him sitting me on his knee and we had two seed trays. And in one of the seed trays, we sowed sweet peas. And in the other one, we sowed peas for eating. And mum came out of hospital and we picked the first little bouquet of sweet peas. Oh, that is such a lovely story. And that was, that is literally, that was the beginning of my gardening journey. Absolutely, because I can. There's so much emotion and just love in that whole little vignette, isn't there? That him, him seeing you, seeing what was going on in your life, including you in that process of having a baby brother, having a baby brother, just oh, how lovely! Extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. I learned a lot from him. And so you do seeds yourself now. So what have you got growing at the moment? So we have sweet peas, obviously, peas, beetroots, carrots, lots of salads. I've got quite a lot of sort of more unusual stuff from the Agroforestry Research Trust. So I've got Babington leeks growing. They sound good. What are they, Babington leeks? They're a perennial leek. Wow. I can't imagine a perennial leek. Babington leeks. Look it up. Yeah, ochre, which is a really lovely root vegetable from South America that tastes a little bit like lemony potatoes okay. if you roast it it's delicious so yeah so there's loads and loads and loads of stuff growing at the moment and what was the name of the trust that you mentioned again the agroforestry research trust I'll put that on the show notes afterwards oh amazing I've got my sweet peas out yesterday I've sort of did you really Yes, I grew them, I sowed them in, I don't know if it's a bit dangerous, I sowed them in the autumn and they were desperate. I've already potted them on once and they were in a big, deep pot and they were, you know, their roots were out the bottom. Yeah. So it sounds as if you think that's too early. No, I don't think that's too early. Oh, good. Okay, good. I'm, I'm relieved because the soil is now. I think if we lived in the north... It would be too early, but we're not. Yeah. We're both yeah. south-ish, yeah. although yeah. in different areas of the country. But yeah, no, I would. I yeah. I mean, if I had them ready to go, I'd put them out by now. Well, I sowed them in the autumn. First yes. time I've done it. I'm a new. I'm a, well. I'm. I'm a semi-new. I I tried sowing seeds when my children were small, and it seemed that I didn't have enough love to give to seeds and children. <laughs> they would just be in a spare room going leggy, and it was a disaster. So I stopped. But last year I got a greenhouse, ah. and I've wanted one for years. And it's so a complete this, game changer oh, having a greenhouse, amazing. and having that space to go out and actually the soil is right there, the compost yeah. is ready, <laughs> yes, it's at the right height. Yes. I can just stand there and use it. And, yeah. Oh, it's revolutionised my my gardening. It's really really lovely. Okay, back to you. I'm just thinking about that relationship with gardening and what do you see it sounds like you've got a you've got a connection and I see this with the underdog with the mental health piece about gardening and that your mum you you saw your mum using her garden to support her mental health is there anything else well I mean I just I I just don't think that we can overstate the importance of not just gardens but just outside for people um you know absolutely nature, I, 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 yeah it, it is it's it's nature and it's 
it's this thing where we we seem to have this narrative right now about going out into nature and and i think that's quite dangerous because nature is all around us and whether it's in the cracks of the pavement mm-hmm. or growing or you know a buddlier plant growing up a disused building or whatever it is you don't have to go out into it it's there you just have to keep your eyes open. yeah and i i think you know our gardens are kind of they're they're the first step out into that yeah so, I, I mean, I just think that for everybody, that green outside space and the opportunity to get your hands in the soil, is it's vital. It's part of who we are as humans. Well, absolutely. And in the earlier days, that was what was happening. Once we became, we graduated from being hunters, didn't we? We became growers, people who put seeds in the soil and, and stayed put to, to, to help Yeah, absolutely. Grow. Yeah. And in terms of the people you work with, the groups you work with, what do you notice about the people that you work with who get involved in these projects and start to be more engaged with the soil? I think, first of all, there's a deep understanding of the fact that it's not actually that easy to grow food. Yeah. You, you know, I, I think I think people miss that. It's not, you know, we, we, we treat food as a commodity and it's not a commodity, it's a resource. So, so that's quite a powerful sort of movement in people but you also see people having extraordinary conversations which you know that they wouldn't be having otherwise so connecting with each other absolutely and really listening to each other so I think we've got to that point in in the world sadly where we're all sort of busy on social media disagreeing in really quite unpleasant ways with people we all see trolling we all see all of that unpleasantness but but I think yeah, and that's why I, you know I think Twitter can be really unpleasant in that respect, and I think that it makes people realise that actually you can have a conversation and you can disagree with somebody about politics about whatever, but actually we're all still human beings, we're all still nice people. It, there's far bigger things to worry about. So that's always really special. But there is always that thing where people just say to us, we feel so much better after we've done a session and we've got things done and we've, you know, put seeds in the soil or we've got our hands dirty or whatever it is that they've been doing. Um, And we have two or three, or more than that, actually, but, you know, key people who we've seen lives changed by just beginning a garden. You know, so people who have gone from homelessness through to finishing degrees in ecology, people who have gone from, you know, come along and and been very much, we don't really know what we're doing with our lives, who are now gardeners, you know, whatever. But yeah, huge, huge amounts of change in people. And what do you notice in yourself about what you're doing and how those sessions and then more widely? in your life this impacts so for me it's the most humbling thing to see somebody who's possibly never gardened before bloom with the garden that for me that you know that I I I can watch that over and over again and it never fails to amaze me just what the effect can be on people and how it fundamentally changes almost them to their core and how do you think that's happening? What do you think the process is? And I think it's multi-layered, isn't it? So I I don't think I know what the process really is because it just it's just something that happens. 
But it is a process and it is, I, I think we have moved through society. We've become a society that asks for permission. And I think when people realise that, yes, there is obviously a permission that we need to ask for, but that they can make the change they want to see, that's a really powerful moment in people's lives that they don't have to wait for somebody to come and do something for them when they can do it themselves. So a sense of agency, a sense of being able to impact their own life. Yeah, it's a sense of being able to take back the power, if you like. And especially in people who are in, you know, tricky areas who don't have what most people probably think in terms of, you know, Bristol's quite, it's a wealthy city. It's, you know, but we have a lot, a lot of deprived areas of, you know, poor health, of food deserts of, you know, 25% of our children at any one time in the city are at risk of food poverty, you know. Gosh, that's really high. That is, that's enormously high considering we're the third wealthiest city in the country, Um, you know. So I think that whole thing of being able to sort of offer people the tools to change that is, and to watch them as they do it is extraordinary, yeah. To take control themselves and make something different, yeah, and be with them, yeah, you're being with them because actually, what I get a sense of is it's not that you're watching. You said you know you can spend an afternoon with some with people, showing them how to sow seeds, yes, demonstrating, being with, and I presume you're having conversation, yeah, of course, people are opening up a little bit about their situation, and you're supporting and talking and engaging with them. So there's that whole layer of it as well, isn't there? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and it's, you know, but it, it is just, it's humbling. That That's really what it is, that you just think, well, what, why are these people listening to me? That That's my honest thing. Why, I you wonder know. what you meant by humbling. Yeah. Why are these people listening to me? Yeah. So that's an interesting question. But it, it, but it is an interesting question because there are a whole load of things that you just think, actually, if you were in a tricky situation, gardening? You know, really, why? But but act, I mean, it makes perfect sense for us because we get it. Yeah. But there's a whole level of trust put in us as an organisation. I think when you you're really starting something that you've never done before, you know, that you feel that you don't have the skills around, uh, and it's not you know, it's not just the growing; it's the holding a group together. It's the how the hell do you cope when so and so falls out with so and so what you do when you disagree about what crops to grow, what happens if it gets trashed, you know, all of, all of, there's a whole lot of stuff that comes with this. And it is really about just saying to people, well, actually you can do this and you can be the master of your own destiny. And this is one of the reasons why. So it's kind of like a microcosm of life, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely is. Yeah. So it's, it's such a moving, moving process. And and that's my experience. I don't have it that much in terms of gardening with people. Obviously, I've worked as a therapist, and so I have that experience of watching people develop and being with them as they change and helping them through those naughty decisions of finding their self-belief and putting a toe in the water and getting pushed back or trying again, all that sort of stuff. And I do that with people in their gardens as well. It's interesting, actually, because I've been wondering how to engage more with people who have less resources, 
who are mm. less affluent, who are struggling more. And I, I'm making a connection actually with a with a young woman. We're just beginning to do something together. Have you come across Annabelle Padwick? Yes. So she and I met recently and we're talking about what we can do together because I think there's a real synergy. Yeah, she's amazing. She's incredible, isn't she? Yeah, she's extraordinary. I love her. Yeah, she's absolutely solid and yeah. sound. And, but what she's doing just briefly is life at number 27. Uh, she's findable. I'll put her on my notes as well. Yeah. She's working in around the Oxford sort of area with in a school with young teenagers mm-hmm. growing things and talking. And then she's also just started this allotment, hasn't she? Yeah. Um, she's going to come on a podcast. She's Brilliant. Come on. Brilliant. Uh, so, Sarah, tell me about your garden. So we moved into this house um, coming up for three years ago. And we moved here because we'd lived in an area that we really weren't managing very well with and when we first moved in we had this tiny little back garden which had absolutely nothing in it and I mean nothing well that's not true it had some weeds and when you say tiny how tiny are we talking so it's about three meters by three meters oh it's really tiny it's absolutely minuscule I mean it it really really is no it's 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 so small but that's fine and I think I might have proved that you can get a lot in a tiny space. Yeah, I think you have. <laughs> when, but when we moved in, it was literally just gravel. There was absolutely nothing there, no soil, no no nothing. So over the last three years, we've kind of filled it up and we've made what I kind of jokingly call my herbaceous border, which is the size of, well, something very tiny. And then we've got loads and loads and loads of pots and it's full of herbs and plants that will encourage nature into the garden. Um, lots of kind of wildflowers. So where do you put your wildflowers? They're, they're all the way through the garden. They're, they're, in the, they're in pots, they're in the border, they're, they're literally everywhere. So, lo- so what I decided was that in the first year, I sort of sat and watched the 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 animals that were coming in and then I suddenly realized that they were coming in and they were eating obviously you know helping themselves to the nectar and all that stuff but there wasn't an awful lot of them laying eggs and and I really wanted to encourage them to be able to lay their eggs and obviously there are some insects which will only lay eggs on certain plants so the, the there's a moth, a beautiful black and red moth, and I've completely forgotten its name. Of course, I have. That needs to lay its eggs on one particular plant, ragwort, which we all see as a weed. Yes, but, and, and lots of people go, "You can't grow rag, ragwort because oh my goodness, the horses will all die." Well, there is no room in my garden for a horse, <laughs> so it's perfectly safe yes. for me to grow ragwort in my garden. But it also means there's something for those but those moths to lay their eggs on. So I, we get more of those moths. So it was really about looking at how we could have a circular sort of system that would support beautiful things to come along. So, you know, willow herb, I can't remember which butterfly it is, but there's a butterfly that will only lay its eggs. Is it the little blue one? Possibly. Yeah. But, you, you know, there's a whole load of things that if you actually sit and work out what comes into your garden, you can then go, oh, well, OK, what does that need in order for me to help it survive? Which is a so really that, lovely way of thinking about it, isn't working working that way round. Yeah. 
have you got hedgehogs? Have you got um, a no. hole under your fences? Is it surrounded by... So I've got a hole under my fence. The problem that I have is the lady who lives next door to me has decided that she doesn't want any nature in her garden at all and has put down fake grass oh, no. and has three pots and a plastic shed. And so, yeah... That's a challenge. Yes, that is a challenge. Yes, and the, the 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 house on the other side basically uses its garden as a cigarette smoking area. So it's a challenge because this is this is the reality of a city. You know, not everybody gets it. Mm. But you're an oasis, aren't you? I'm a little oasis. It's like um, uh, the bumblebee flies any anyway. Yes, Kate Bradbury. Yes, I'm just about to start reading that. It's a lovely book. And it very much makes this connection between garden, creating a garden, getting in touch with nature. Well, she's already in touch with nature, but developing her, her, her garden for wildlife. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I'm concerned at the moment that there are still lots of people across the country who are not concerned with wildlife and not concerned with nature. And I think that as gardeners, we have a responsibility to make sure that we are giving back to nature and not taking from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're passionate about peats and peat-free, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Have been for years and years and years. But then again, the reason that I've been peat-free for years and years and years is because those moorlands in Yorkshire are, you know, they're a special place for me. The idea of digging something up like that to is is crazy and you were aware of them weren't you yes yeah from from childhood from childhood I mean we just looked out over them there they were so I think um yeah so I think our gardens need to become places where we do welcome wildlife and we do welcome nature and sometimes just being okay yeah so that might not mean that our gardens can look as we might traditionally have liked them to have looked but that's fine which which brings me on to thinking about design. Did you think about your garden from a design perspective? Yes. This? Did you draw a drawing? Did you make a plan? How did you? There, there was, I mean, yes, there, there was always a plan. A drawn plan. A drawn plan, a proper grown-up type plan, <laughs> almost, in that, you, you know, you have to kind of work out where things go best. You have to work out you know little things like you have to sit and watch and see how the sun behaves coming across you have to know where particularly in a space this small you have to know the bit that's in the in the shade all day and plant it accordingly exactly so you know yeah all of that was kind of done before we did much and do you sit out there have you made yourselves an inhabitable space so obviously you have to design that in don't you you have to think about do I want to sit in the sun do I want to sit in the shade yeah so we have a space with a chair and a couple of a couple of chairs and a table and we've got a bench I don't quite know how we've managed to do all of that yeah in three meters that is pretty good three meters square is not a big space yeah so but so yeah so there are seating spaces there's space we've got um water butts we've got yeah, all of the stuff that you need so that you don't need to input loads of stuff. Fantastic. And are you the main gardener? Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> you, you could argue the only, but that would be unkind. Oh, do, do, do you get help with 
yes yes I get I, I get help with the kind of the stuff that needs a drill ah very good yes yeah so that's good yeah I get help in my garden I have to go you know that thing about agency I have to go out there and start doing something and then yes. my husband wanders out in a kind of non-committal way <laughs> and then I can say to him darling could you just do this yes can you and then he'll sort of get drawn into the activity yes that sounds very familiar that's it <laughs> yes. but if I say to him darling let's do some gardening Oh no 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 no! That's a that's a, that's the easy way to get them running in the opposite direction. Yes, it is. Oh well, Sarah, it's been a lovely, lovely conversation. It has. Thank you. Now, my pleasure too. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed today's conversation. Sarah and I would love to know your thoughts and to hear about anything it has brought up for you. I'm at Growthfully, and Sarah is at Sarah Limbach on Instagram. Sarah Limbach is spelt S-A-R-A-L-I-M-B-A-C-K. Please use the hashtag MyGardenMyLife so we can see what you've written. The show notes for this episode are on my website at www.growthfully.co.uk, where you can sign up for my newsletter, read my blog, and find out how I can help you get inspired and busy in your own garden. We can cover layout design and styling, planting, gardening, whatever you need to help you make the most of that precious space. And everything is online at the moment. And if you'd like to share the love, please do subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It really does help others find us. And I think that's it for now. Until next time, I hope you enjoy your garden.